everybody. Welcome to the Hidden Gems podcast. This is the podcast where we like to look at a streaming service and uh, give you some hidden gems of that streaming service, not the obvious picks, and talk about them. And it's just so much fun. And I'm from Britta Rachel Wagner, and Ryan is here. Uh, hey, Rachel. It's so great to be back with you once again. And uh, I was actually uh, messaging you back and forth about this, but it, it's something that I didn't realize until like just today. We just crossed a year of doing this. Unbelievable. Like, like March 17th was our first Disney Plus episode. And just thinking back on all of the, uh, all of the stuff that has happened, not just in 2020, but just like, like all this, all the movies we've talked about, all the streaming services we've talked about. I've discovered streaming services that I had no idea were even a thing. It, yeah. But it was to this. So I, mean, I, I We've done 400 recommendations, and that's crazy. And a lot more to go. Yeah, that's right. And so and I just I just wanted to say thank you because my channel has, my personal channel has just exploded. And it's primarily, or not primarily, but one of the reasons why is because I've been on this podcast with you and I've been exposed to your viewers and it's just, it's just been awesome. So I thank you and I look forward to doing this for another year or even another five years. I've, I'm, I'm down for this for the long haul. Yeah, well, we've had a great time. I mean, I thought it was just gonna be something we'd be doing for a couple of weeks because we were all just uh, Disney Plus binging and we, we <laughs> uh, this will be <laughs> over in a couple, a couple of weeks. weeks. Like I really, I remember when, uh, EMC, I think it was, announced that they were closing for between two and six weeks is what they had originally said. And I was like, that's crazy. Six weeks? What? No way. <laughs> well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I've been so grateful. It's been a great blessing in my life and uh, helped me get through this crazy time to have something to look forward to every Monday or Tuesday or where we get around to filming it and uh, yeah, figuring out all these streaming services. We've done a bunch and today we're doing one we've only ever done one other time, believe it or not. Yeah, we're talking about uh, the hoopla behind, well, uh, hoopla. <laughs> yeah. Forgive yeah. my bad puns, but that, but there we go. Uh, <laughs> this is a streaming service that is kind of like Canopy in that it's secretly one of the very best that no one ever really thinks about. Mm -hmm. It's free. All you need to use yeah. is a library card in order to get it, but you have access to so much. I, I was going through it just today and I, and I was there like, I have like a runoff. I've, I have like 20 choices I could, I could yeah. use and it'd just be like, God, I have to, I have so much that I, I can make five top five lists if I really wanted to. And it's my favorite price, free 99. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, really, I had the same experience. I was looking through and I was just like, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. And I don't know if it's just because the other ones we've sort of picked over a little bit more and this one we've only done one. And so maybe that's part of the reason why there seemed to be so much, but it really was impressive. Yeah, and, and I had seen, and, and Hoopla has a bit of an advantage too because it doesn't just do movies and TV. It does audiobooks and ebooks yeah. and comics and just it's like 90% of the comics that I've read in my life have been on Hoopla. So mm -hmm. so this is a very underrated service in that you can get so much with just like giving your library card information which they give out for free anyway. So yeah we've done canopy a number of we've done canopy like four times. Uh, so what do you think of the main difference between canopy and hoopla? Well in terms of 
in terms of canopy and hoopla, I hate using the word mainstream because it, it gets used like, oh, this is a mainstream film. But like, I don't know, it just seems so like clerical to me. But mm -hmm. hoopla feels a lot more mainstream and canopy is more is more niche. When you go to canopy, you're looking for like older movies that aren't like Citizen Kane, Lawrence of Arabia, stuff like that. Uh, international films, films by like female directors or directors in the LGBT community, so on and so forth. If you're going to Hoopla, that's more like, oh, I like, like stuff you would recognize. But Canopy is more like, again, yeah. this is another term I hate, but it's like more challenging stuff. Yeah, like, it's more like prestige kind of fair. Exactly. And, yeah. and even, even then, looking through Canopy just recently, they've added some more mainstream fare. Like they just had AI artificial intelligence on there, which I had no idea that they would ever add anything related to Spielberg on there, but you know, mm -hmm. there it is. Yeah. And then they had the beaver on there with Mel Gibson. And I'm like, considering who Mel Gibson is, I'm surprised they would let him 25 feet near that streaming service, but that's another conversation for another time. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. And a lot of times that you can, if they're not carrying either of these services, uh, if you can find a friend and you can split the the, the borrows that you can do, because they give you 10 on Canopy, right? And was it eight on Hoopla? No, no, have? it was no, it was 20. Oh, uh, 20. It, there's a certain, like, there's things called fast borrows for, like, newer material. You get four. And then okay. for, like, stuff for like the rest it's 20 and that spreads across movies tv comics ebooks so on and so forth yeah so let us know which one you prefer is canopy or hoopla we'd love to hear in the comment section but let's dive in to our recommendations this week so my first recommendation i feel like i've done it before but i couldn't find it anywhere so forgive me if this is a repeat but I had to go with The Secret of Kells. And this is the first film from Tom Moore, who of course everyone who follows my channel knows I adore. I got to interview him and I love him and his work. I love Song of the Sea so much. The first movie that ever made me cry on YouTube when I was doing my review. And, and then I also love Wolfwalkers. It was my favorite film last year. This is his first one, The Secret of the Kells. It's about a little boy and named Brendan, who uh, is, uh, it lives in this Viking town, and there's this book of the Kells, and it has all these legends, and there's the legend of the forest, and uh, he kind of gets involved in this sort of quest into the forest, and there's this spirit that, uh, that is the spirit of the forest that's there as well, and I just love it. I think it's beautiful, and I think that it's probably the my least favorite of the three, but I just love all three so much. And so if you haven't had a chance to see the Irish Folklore Trilogy by Tom Moore and Cartoon Saloon, you really should check it out. It's great. Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds Irish. Yes, yeah, it's the Irish, uh, the Irish trilogy that he has with Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea, Wolfwalkers. And you have Brendan Gleeson doing one of the voices in here. And he's also in Song of the Sea. And he's great. 
Yeah, I love Brandon Gleason. He was Knuckles McGinty in Paddington too. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. It's so good. I love him in that. And it has beautiful music by this Irish band called Kia. And they are in all three of the movies. And uh, in there, the music is done by Bruno Kailus. Kai, Kai, Kai I'm not sure you pronounce his last name. Anyway, really great. And I just love them. The animation is so beautiful. It's a 2D uh, animation. Uh, and uh, so I, I think that Secret, uh, I think Song of the Sea is still my favorite. I think the Wolfwalkers is probably the best, but I have more of an emotional connection to Song of the Sea. Uh, so they're all great, though. Very, very, very good. In 2016, I had the privilege of traveling to Ireland, and it was. Oh, great. One of the most, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. I don't mm -hmm. care what anyone says, just mm -hmm. rolling hills of just green, green as far as the eye can see. Uh, very overcast. So this Florida boy was like, where's the sun? Has the sun disappeared? <laughs> Where did it go? But you get used to it after a while. But I, I went on a, uh, on a school trip, a, a college trip. And I got to see some of the darker sides of Ireland, is specifically Derry and Londonderry. And that's a very complicated hornet's nest. But let's just say Londonderry is Protestant and Derry is Catholic and they hate each other. I'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. And I got to see the site of, of Bloody Sunday, which is, which is a very dark day in their history. If, you want to know more about it, like listen to the U2 song, Sunday Bloody Sunday. That's what they base that song off of. But I also got to travel to Dublin, which is a beautiful city, and Galway as well, which is the industrial heart of it. I could go on talking about my Ireland trip for days because it was, it was wonderful. But That's awesome. But, that, but that'll be another story for another yeah. time. Well, very cool. Well, what is your first recommendation? So my first recommendation, this is a, our trademark hard lefts going from a Irish animated film to a, uh, to a war film starring Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton. This is called Where Eagles Dare. And this is a World War II movie that definitely does not get talked about because I think, I think World War II in terms of movies has been done a lot. And there's a lot of source material there. You could go like serious route, like Schindler's List. You could go straight up like a battle movie, like like Dunkirk or say The Longest Day. You can tell these little stories like The Zookeeper's Wife. There's so many angles that you can go when talking about World War II. But where Eagles Dare is different is that it also combines the elements of a spy movie. It basically tells the story of these two GIs played by Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood who have to go save a captured allied general in this very secure fortress and in the, I want to say the Swiss Alps, but it's in the mountains, in the Bavarian mountains. And this movie is, this movie is very long. It's two and a half hours. So it's definitely one you have to really be prepared to experience for. But at the same time, this is a very criminally underrated uh, war movie. It's got really great action scenes. It's got really great like spying scenes. This is Clint Eastwood just before he really hits his peak. I think he had just gotten done with the spaghetti westerns and was really starting to get into his own. And Richard Burton was uh, was at, in the middle of his prime and he was doing a lot of good stuff. And this is, and really the best part of the movie is when 
they get this general and they have to get back to the airfield and get out. And they do it in a snowplow. I'm just going to leave it at that because the rest is just, it's just chaos and I just love it. And at the end of the day, this is, this is definitely a very underrated World War II movie. And if you haven't seen it, do check it out. I have to say, I never even heard of it. I, not that I haven't even just seen it. I had never heard of this movie until you put it on the list. So that's always, what's the yeah. great thing about the show is that very, very underrated score as well, especially oh, in yeah. the beginning where it's like, it's got this very menacing like beat to it because it, this mission, they, the movie does a great job of showing that this mission is like, is like the worst case scenario. Like if these two men get caught, they will be disavowed. It, it's like a mission impossible movie. Mm-hmm. get caught the we will not claim you so yeah it's either they got to get their mark or they're gonna die trying literally cool that sounds good i'll have to check that out uh so my next pick is actually a i love anna green gables <laughs> another hard left i guess I love Anna Green Gables, but I did not like Anne with an E. And uh, so my friend Amber and I, we watched Anne with an E. And that's actually how we started uh, the Hallmark Kids podcast, because we disliked it so much that we decided to start talking about Hallmark movies instead. And <laughs> But I kind of cleansed my palate. I watched this uh, version of Anna Green Gables from 2016. And this uh, is a very sweet, simple version. Like it doesn't have that much of a budget. It's pretty small, but it covers most of the basis of the story. And it has Martin Sheen playing Matthew, which you know he's 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 a pro, so he did a good job. And uh, it's if you like Anna Green Gables, this this does not get up to the to the levels of the of the nineteen eighty five version, but it's a pretty solid version, I would say. Just the knowledge of Martin Sheen being in something like Apocalypse Now, where he almost died of a heart attack, and also being <laughs> in a Hallmark version of Anne of Green Gables. Like, the dude's got range. That's all yeah. I'm going to say. That's right. But yeah, this is a pretty fun little version of Anne of Green Gables. It covers all the main parts of the book, and I think that most readers will be pretty happy with it. Uh, it, it like I said, it's obviously on a pretty low budget, so you can feel that some places, but... But uh, yeah, people should check it out. So what is your next pick? So my next pick is from 2016. And uh, this is like, this is like in that buffer zone between like late 2016, early 17, but I just say 2016. It's called The Infiltrator. Uh, this was directed by Brad Furman, who also directed The Lincoln Lawyer. Love, I've recommended that movie in the past. And uh, The Infiltrator is based on a true story. It's based on the story of a U.S. Customs agent named Robert Mazur. And I'm glad I, re- I wrote his name down. Uh, who learns of a money trail that could possibly lead to Pablo Escobar, who is pretty well known as like a pretty big drug kingpin of the mid-1980s. And so... Missouri goes underground and undercover as a man who is looking to get Escobar services. And this eventually leads to, to Escobar's eventual arrest. I love these true stories like this. It, it's one of those things where it's like, this couldn't have possibly happened. And yet somehow it did. I just actually watched the, watched the courier with Benedict Cumberbatch last mm. night. It was fantastic. It was, it is yet another one of those this actually happened, and it turns out, yes, it did. And that goes 
far and away for me with the infiltrator. You definitely know where it's going if maybe in terms of like, okay, it definitely is going to lead to Escobar's arrest. There's going to be some marriage turmoil between Robert Mazur and his wife. That does happen. And he can only tell her so much. You all probably know where this is headed. It's like a train ride. You know where it's going. But thankfully, Brad Furman's a pretty good director. And so he at least makes the train ride interesting, I suppose. Uh, the movie stars Brian Cranston. He's consistently great in most of the things that he's in, and it's no different here. This was around the time when he was still riding off of the Breaking Bad high that he was on, and he was just getting offers everywhere. Like, seriously, in 2012, he must have been in, like, five or six movies. Like, it was crazy. And, and, it, and he's the best part of the movie. He has to, like, he has to be, like, he has to be, like, he has to keep his cover all the time, everywhere. And it's not easy, but he does it. There are other actors in here as well, like John Leguizamo. He's consistently great in most of the things that he is in, but this is really the Brian Cranston show. And at the end of the day, this is just, this is yet another one of those true stories that I just found endlessly fascinating. If you haven't seen it, do check it out. Yeah, I remember hearing about it, but I'm glad you brought it back to my attention because i definitely forgotten about it. Uh, but it sounded like a pretty good film. Yeah, it's also a nice uh, portrait of what the 80s looked like in terms of like the war on drugs, I guess, if you want to call oh, it. Oh, yeah. It's an, it's an 80s film, but it's not like everybody's wearing leg warmers and listening to Cindy Lauper and watching Hulk Hogan face Andre the Giant and stuff like that. It's right. enough 80s to let you know it's the 80s, specifically the clothes and the hair, but it's not like in your face about it. I like mm. that. I like the spirit of it. Sounds good. Well, my third choice is moving up to the 90s. This is 1993, and it is the uh, film adaptation of The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan, the novels by Amy Tannen. And uh, I really enjoyed the novel, and they did a very good job updating it to motion picture. And this was pretty landmark for its time to have an all Chinese cast, all Chinese or Chinese American cast. And it's something you didn't even really see again until we had something like Crazy Rich Asians and, and which is crazy that it took that long for a major mainstream motion picture. Uh, but uh, this is a, it's a good film. It's about mothers and daughters and uh, they, the mothers have this, uh, this club where they make investments in different things called the Joy Luck Club. And uh, it tells the stories of the mothers in China uh, that came over to the United States and then also tells the, the stories of the young people and them trying to get along with their mothers. And I have to say, I think the, all the stuff with the older women is way more compelling than the drama of the younger women. And that's true in the book as well. But, now, but I think it's still definitely worth watching. It's really good performances. And uh, if, I mean, if you are a, uh, uh, a sibling or have a have a mother I think that you will to relate to this uh, this film and uh, so it's 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 a real good one I'd always heard about this one it was one of those where I would if I was scrolling through HBO it'd be like the joy luck club that mm -hmm. sounds like and I would see it non-stop it would get like serious HBO yeah. like airplay like especially late at night and I was just thinking about it because they had a documentary about Amy Tan at Sundance. And so they had, they talked a lot about the movie on there. Yeah. This was directed by Wayne Wong, who also directed Last Holiday, which is one of my 
which is one of my favorite, which is a movie that I also recommended here yeah. with Queen Latifah. So good. I love it too. Uh, yeah, he makes really satisfying, entertaining films and that have a, a heart to them. So that's my jam if you're talking. <laughs> so what is your next pick? My next choice is a bit of a hard left again. This is talking about like an early 90s like film about mothers and daughters to bit of a mid-60s over-the-top movie from the guy who invented the Pink Panther. It's The Great Race. Uh, this was released in 1965. It was directed by Blake Edwards, who he would go on to do other things, but is primarily known for creating the, the Pink Panther cartoons, as well as heavily involved in the Pink Panther movies, like the Pink Panther and Pink Panther Strikes Back and Shot in the Dark and all that. And um, this movie stars Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon, who I think other than Walter Matthau, like Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis were just like, among the, the best comedy duos ever. Like Lemon was one of one of the all-timers, like in terms of comedic actors. He was one of the greats. And this movie is about, well, a great race between uh, between many different people, but it primarily focuses on two drivers, the great Leslie, played by played by Tony Curtis, and Professor Fate, played by Jack Lemon. And this is one of those cross-country races where they start in London and they end in New York City and hijinks ensue. That may sound boring, but I'm not doing it justice. This is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And that falls directly at the feet of three of the three main actors, Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis, and Natalie Wood. And this is just, this is a seriously funny movie, even by 2021 standards. It, like, like I said, Jack Lemmon just has fantastic comedic timing. Uh, he was one of the best, like, he was, he was normally good as a great straight man, but here he is, he's the foil, and he does a great job. And Tony Curtis is the straight man, is the straight man, and he was awesome in Some Like It Hot, and he's just as good in The Great Race as well. And Natalie Wood, she was taken from us far too soon, because I believe she was a one-of-a-kind talent, and just Lord only knows what she would have done if she hadn't passed on. But again, that's another story for another time. And this definitely has its more over-the-top qualities, but that's honestly what gives the movie its charm. It's definitely a movie that would not be made today, not for any reason other than people would think like, oh, this is just plain old silly. But if you have not seen it, I do recommend checking it out. And one more fun fact before we do move on, this series actually inspired one of my favorite cartoon series of all time, The Wacky Races. And two of the main characters in that, Peter Perfect and, uh, and Dick Dastardly, were both based on the great Leslie and Professor Fate, respectively. Yeah, I have to admit, I've never heard of this one either. This was new to me, and it sounds delightful, so I'm definitely going to have to check it out. It sounds yeah, great. One of my favorite lines in the movie is when, is when Leslie and Fate are like one and two next to each other, and they've got to they've cross this icy terrain, and both of their cars are stuck on this tremendous iceberg, and the iceberg is melting. And so, and so Leslie is like, and, and so Professor Fate is like, we are sinking. And Leslie's like, don't tell us that. We already know. And, and, and Fate's like, oh, okay, I'll shut up about it. I'll wait till the water gets to my upper lip. Then I'll say something again. <laughs> I honestly- It sounds kind of, it's Mad Men, Mad World-ish kind of a little. 
yeah, that's that's same sick cut from the same cloth, if you will. Because I really like it's Men Men Mad World as well. Cool, that sounds great. Uh, so my next pick is a small film that you might not have heard of. It's perfect for this show. It's called A Simple Twist of Fate, and this is from 1994, and it is an adaptation of uh, George Eliot's novel, Silas Marner, and it's one of her shorter novels, but it's done in modern day, and, the sh and it's actually adapted by Steve Martin, who's the star of the film, and it's about this miserly uh, man who is isolated from the, from the world, and uh, he just all he cares about is collecting coins, collecting money, and uh, in one day, in he ends up getting this daughter that he has to take care of, this little girl. And at first, he's very grumpy about it, and then, of course, she slowly starts to win him over. But it's a very sweet little movie. <laughs> So, and he's just very cynical. He doesn't trust anybody. And just this little girl starts to kind of wear him down. It's, it's similar to like Heidi in that way, uh, which I recommended on a previous episode. Kind of sounds like, uh, kind of sounds like Steve Martin's character from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, but with just one daughter. Uh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Except for he's, he's even more sort of isolated and doesn't want to leave his house kind of a thing. But uh but yeah, it's a cute, it's a cute little movie. I think I, I think you'd like it. Yeah, I'll definitely have to look into it. Mm -hmm. So, what is your next pick? So, my next choice is from two thousand and one, and this is a movie that I think got a bit more traction because Inside Out came out in twenty fifteen, and there was a large amount of people who were either comparing it to Herman's Head or this movie I'm going to be talking about. It's Osmosis Jones. Uh, this was directed by the Farrelly brothers, and even though they did direct movie 43, Peter Farrelly would go on to direct Green Book, which I believe won him an Oscar. I know it won Best Picture, but I don't know if he won individually an Oscar. No, not for directing, I don't believe. Um, but I, I think he actually might have won for screenplay, now that you think about it. I could be that, wrong. I can't that remember. does make sense, but regardless... <laughs> Uh, this movie tells the story of, well, it's really hard to describe, but it, it basically, this movie all takes place in the body of Bill Murray, uh, like Bill Murray's character, at least. And it all revolves around a cop named Osmosis Jones, who is a white blood cell. And in biology, white blood cells fight off diseases. They're, they're basically like the police force of the human body. So it fits for this movie. And and Osmosis Jones gets a new partner named Drix, and he's, well, he's a pill. <laughs> and he's voiced by David Hyde Pierce, who I believe was Niles and Frasier, if my memory serves mm -hmm. me right. Mm -hmm. And there is a sickness going in Bill Murray's character's body named Thrax, voiced by Lawrence Fishburne. And the, uh, and they have, and Ozzy and Drix have to navigate a very bumbling mayor voiced by William Shatner and a variety of other characters. I never saw this in theaters. My dad showed it to me at home one day and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was just, it, the, the concept of all of this taking place in someone's body, it just, I don't know. There's something about that that just was just so many possibilities surrounding it. 
and about how how certain systems work and how like action scenes happening in Frank in Frank's body actually adversely affect him on the outside. This movie definitely has its silly moments, but in a good way. But there's also a pretty touching storyline between Bill Murray and his daughter in the movie. And I won't, I won't go too deep into spoilers, but let's just say it gets pretty harrowing near the end. And I don't know, it just, it was just really good stuff. And I, I won't say that this movie is like totally overlooked. Everyone I talk about, I like say, hey, Osmosis Jones, be like. Oh yeah, I remember that. So there's definitely a group of people who remember this movie. However, there's also a lot of people who who either liked the body movie, please. But this is secretly a pretty, it, it's secretly a pretty good movie. And it, it, it definitely answered a lot of questions about my body when I was growing up. Let's just say when I was riddled with acne, I'm like, wow, the clubs are expanding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have never seen this one. I've heard of it, but I've never, I've never seen it. You definitely heard about it when Inside Out was coming out. That's for sure. Yeah, well, when you do it for obscure animation, have me on. We'll talk. Okay, <laughs> that sounds like a good deal. All right, very good. Well, my last pick is another hard left, and this comes from the world of Hallmark, but it's way back Hallmark. It's from uh, 2003, so way back. <laughs> Like in the prehistoric days yeah, of Walmart. Yeah. That's right. And it's called Love Comes Softly. And I really like this movie. It inspired a whole series of movies after it. There's like nine or ten of them. And this first one stars Katherine Heigl. And she plays a woman who is going out west in the like 1850s, 1860s. And uh, her this is start this is not a spoiler so the very beginning her husband passes passes away suddenly and so she needs to figure out how is she going to survive what is she going to do and so there's a man who has a little girl and he makes a offer to her he says well if you can stay with me but in, a, in order for us to do that you we have to get married and uh, and then we can we can just get, we can be married through the year and then once the uh the stage comes back you we can get we can get it annulled or divorced and then you can go back uh, then but we can help each other survive through the through the winter and you can help my little girl have a mom for at least a year you know kind of a thing so they make this deal and it's, it's obviously an extreme marriage of convenience, but as they get to know each other more, they slowly grow to fall in love with each other, of course, as you'd expect. But uh, it's very romantic. It's very sweet. It's faith-filled. There's definitely a, uh, a faith element in this when them trying to understand why God would do this to them and take away their spouses and, and uh, why bad things happen to good people. And and it's, I think it's done very well and uh, the little girl's cute and honorary <laughs> and uh, I, it's, it's really, it's really good. I, I think this is a very solid movie. Yeah. That's the universal question, isn't it? When we ask God is like, why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah. And it's like, it's like the age old adage of smokers live till 90, but then there's someone who's pure of heart who dies of cancer at 35. It, it's like, it's like, how is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. That's the big question that we, we don't, nobody has the full answers, but 
give you some answers in in this and some story and so and uh, this is a pretty good faith-based film i think and it's a pretty good hallmark movie and it's a pretty good love story pretty good western all of those things elements i think it's all well done and a lot of people hate katherine heigl but i think she's perfectly fine here <laughs> perfectly serviceable uh and dale midkiff is the male lead and he's he's good and uh, so yeah if you like things like little house on the prairie or i don't know just those kinds of wholesome uh frontier kind of stories then i think you'll really enjoy this yeah i remember she did this uh, movie for the love of for the love of money or, or something like or one for the money and then she like disappeared off the face of the earth it's like i wonder what mm -hmm. happened yeah she just did a series for netflix i didn't get to finish i watched one episode but then i just had so much going on when they sent it to me uh fire fire firefly lane i think that she took a break because she had uh, a lot of children she has like four children or something so Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> they can get in the way. <laughs> those children. Those pesky, those pesky kids. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so what is your last pick? So my last pick is from 2002, and it is an adaptation of The Count of Monte Cristo, starring Jim Caviezel and Guy Pearce. Uh, this is based on the legendary story written by Alexandre Dumas, who also wrote, among other things, The Three Musketeers, and... That's the only book that I could think of off the top of my head. But uh, the, you all, if you've read The Count of Monte Cristo, this movie will pretty much does that. It's about, it's about a man named Edmund Dantes who is framed for a crime that he did not commit by, a man, by his friend named Ferdinand. And he is cast to the island of Monte Cristo. And he's pretty much the only one there. And, and, it, and for years he stays there and languishes in this prison until he escapes. And not only does he escape, he stumbles upon massive amounts of riches and uses this wealth to plan his revenge against Ferdinand. Uh, I remember watching this because my dad was like, hey, you remember me reading you The Count of Monte Cristo, right? And I'm like, yeah. And I was like, well, watch this. And, and so we did, and it was great. Uh, Jim Caviezel is one of those actors that I think doesn't get a ton of work nowadays, but subtly, when he is there, He's the best part of anything that he's in. He primarily does like a lot of faith-based stuff. Like I remember two or three years ago, he did a movie called Paul, Apostle of Christ. And faith-based faith movies tend to be very bad. And, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying that as, I'm saying that as a man of faith. Watching 90% mm -hmm. of Pure Flix movies, it just is like, oh God, like just <laughs> yeah. save me from this. But Paul Apostle of Christ was really good. And Jim Caviezel is just, he's supremely talented. He's one of the best actors that I think nobody really talks about. And Guy Pierce, I mean, is Guy Pierce. If you need someone to play like a very prickish bad guy, you call on Guy Pierce. It doesn't matter how big or how small, Guy Pierce will always be there. And there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to remember about this movie. There's, there's, the, there's the Count's introduction where he has this big elaborate party and he walks out and he's like, I am the Count of Monte Cristo. And people are just like, oh, who is this guy? And that scene is done very well. Uh, this was directed by Kevin Reynolds who directed Waterworld, which I like though like 90% of people hate it. 
And he also mm -hmm. directed Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which was like the biggest thing in the early 90s, but then nobody talked about it except for Alan Rickman. But <laughs> I, I thought he did a really good job directing this. And I think it's a pretty dang good adaptation of Dumas' work. It's better than like half of the Three Musketeers movies that have been made, especially the Paul W.S. Anderson one, which, <laughs> oh, God, don't remind <laughs> me. What? That one's rough. Well, uh, no. yeah, I actually almost had this on my list. Uh, I I was debating between do I do the Anna Green Gables, do I do Catalonia Cristo, but I am so happy when I saw it on your list because I really enjoy it too. It's really fun. If you like Pirates of the Caribbean or things like that, then you'll enjoy this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a good pick. All right, well, we did it. Hoopla! It provided some good good suggestions, I think. Yeah, we showed everyone the hoopla around okay. hoopla. That's right. <laughs> Bringing everything full circle. That is yes. my job. So let us know what you've been watching on hoopla and what you think of our recommendations. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And Ryan, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at RyanCam20. And there's, of course, my YouTube channel, which is just called RyanCam. Uh, we're recording this on a Sunday, which means that my first reaction to Porco Rosso dropped. It's one of Studio Ghibli's more underrated movies. I had a lot of fun watching it. And throughout this week, I'll be dropping AFI project videos for Raiders of the Lost Ark and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And then this coming Sunday will be my first reaction to the next Studio Ghibli film, Ocean Waves. And then this the next Sunday, April 4th, it's going to be a very special video on my channel because Rachel and Durbin over at Durbania have been very kind to lend their services in order to review the Prince of Egypt in honor of Easter Sunday. And so that's going to be a lot of fun to record and that I'm looking forward to it wholeheartedly. So if you haven't subscribed over on my channel, please do. I'm so happy with where it's going and where it's going to go. Put a lot of time and effort into it. So yeah, check me out if you haven't. Yes, you also definitely check out. It's going to be so fun. I love that movie so much. So I'm very excited to talk about it. And yeah, you can follow me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So make sure to check all of that out. It's so much fun. Please like this video. Please subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave us your ratings and reviews. We really, really appreciate those. And also... Uh, consider becoming a patron. We are so grateful for our patrons. And then we also have our merch store, which has tons of fun designs. So we'd love you to take a look over there. So thanks so much, everybody. And we'll talk to you later. Bye, everyone. Bye.